Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. In this episode, we continue our in-depth look at how people change. Get excited because this is Tiny Leaps. Big changes. Another episode of Tiny Leaps, Big Changes, where I share simple strategies you can use to get more out of your life. My name is Greg Clunas, and welcome to part two of my mega article on how people change classical conditioning, operant conditioning, and how to use them to your advantage. In this installment, we'll be going over what operant conditioning is, how it works for your personal development, how it compares to classical conditioning, and what all of this means for you. If you are listening to this episode and have not already listened to episode 716, which published uh, yesterday as of the the publishing of this, uh, if you have not listened to episode 716, that is the first part of this two-part series. So I highly recommend that you Pause this, go listen to that episode first, and then come back here and things will make a lot more sense if you go about it that way. So with all of that said, we'll get into the episode in a second, but I want to take a moment to thank today's sponsor, Blinkist. Did you ever just want to be a better version of yourself, a more confident, knowledgeable you? Well, the fastest way to do it is through learning. Learning about a new topic or skill can not only broaden your horizons, but also boost your self-esteem. That's where the Blinkist app comes in. Blinkist takes top nonfiction titles, pulls out the key takeaways, and puts them into text and audio explainers called Blinks that give you the most important information in just 15 minutes. With Blinkist, you've got access to thousands of titles and 27 categories of the world's best knowledge to choose from. And if you're more of a podcast person, they've got you covered with Blinks for podcasts called Shortcasts. All of this is available in one app and right in your pocket, so you can learn anytime, anywhere. Now, I like Blinkist because I'm a curious person. I love learning about new ideas and better understanding how things work. With Blinkist, when curiosity strikes, I can jump right into a book on the topic and get exactly what I'm looking for. And two books I'd recommend are Indistractable by Nir Eyal, which is all about how to stay focused each day and How Not to Worry by Paul McGee, which is all about dealing with anxiety, worry and stress. So why not try it out? Right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Tiny Leaps to start your free seven-day trial and get 25% off of a Blinkist premium membership. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash Tiny Leaps to get 25% off and a seven-day free trial. So what is operant conditioning? 
Operant conditioning is the process of changing behavior by strengthening desired behaviors and weakening undesired ones. This reinforcement occurs through a system of rewards and punishments that encourage behavior or discourage the behavior. Unlike classical conditioning, Operant conditioning can be fairly easy to understand because it tells you what it is in the name. The word operant is defined as, quote, an item of behavior that is initially spontaneous rather than a response to a prior stimulus, but whose consequences may reinforce or inhibit recurrence of that behavior. Put simply, operant conditioning is about conditioning your behavior. In other words, trying to get certain behaviors repeated and other behaviors stopped. Now, as we did yesterday with classical conditioning, let's define some key components of operant conditioning. So first, you have the neutral operant. A neutral operant is what we call a behavior that does not result in any type of consequence. Then you have reinforcement. Reinforcement is anything the environment does that increases the probability of a behavior being repeated. Reinforcements from the environment come in two forms, positive and negative. Positive reinforcement comes in the form of rewarding some type of behavior, and negative reinforcement comes in the form of removing some type of obstacle in response to the behavior. Both are effective at changing how people behave over time by either increasing or decreasing occurrences of those behaviors, respectively. And then we have punishers. Punishment is a form of negative reinforcement which decreases the likelihood that an undesirable behavior will be repeated. To break down how operant conditioning works, let's look at the lab environment. Research may start by teaching a behavior to an animal. This behavior could be anything, but the most commonly used in experiments is to press a button of some kind. Next, the controlled environment will reward that behavior with some type of reinforcement. This reinforcement may be positive or negative depending on the circumstances. So for example, they could be a positive reinforcement of this mouse presses the button and it gets a treat, or it could be a negative reinforcement of there is some kind of pain, but when you press the button, the pain stops. The experiment will then repeat this process over time to produce a positive association with the behavior and increase the likelihood of the behavior being repeated. Over time, this process teaches the animal to repeat the behavior to gain whatever benefit is being offered. So what does this mean for behavior change? Well, when applying this process to how people change, it's a simple approach of rewarding the behaviors we want to repeat and punishing the behaviors we want to avoid. However, to make it work, there are a few conditions that need to be met. First, there needs to be a sufficient ability to engage in a behavior. If something is difficult to engage in, you are far less likely to do it consistently. The harder something is to do, the bigger the reward must be to motivate yourself to do it. Similarly, the easier something is to do, the lower the reward needs to be to actually get it done. This has huge consequences when looking at how to break bad habits or build good habits. Because the unfortunate truth is that many of our bad habits, they're incredibly easy to do. And many of the good habits we want to build are difficult to do. This is why it can feel so difficult to change behavior in the long term. Building a good habit is harder than building a bad habit. 
the next thing that is required for this process to work is the value of the reinforcement or punishment. When it comes to conditioning a behavior based on reward association, two things need to be considered. First, you have to actually want the reward that is being offered or dislike the punishment. If you don't have any interest in the potential reward or if the punishment doesn't really matter to you, then it won't serve as a motivator to drive action. And second, the reward or punishment needs to feel like a natural extension of taking the action. So if we go back to our lab experiment, the animal is first trained to press the button. When the button is pressed, a treat is dispensed. This happens instantly in response to the button being pressed. And as far as the animal knows, there is no other way to get the reward other than pressing the button. This close relationship is what allows an association to be made. If the reward happened a few hours or minutes after the button was pressed, or if the animal could also get the reward in some other way, it's very possible that they wouldn't necessarily associate pressing the button with getting the reward. Similarly, if the rewards we present ourselves for taking certain actions feel disconnected or can be gained in other ways, the association is far less effective or far less likely to be created in the first place. So with all of this, it's important to ask, does operant conditioning work? And the answer should be fairly straightforward. It's yes, but only if the earlier conditions are met. Operant conditioning has already played a major role in your life. If you've ever changed your behavior to get better results based on previous results, then you've used operant conditioning. If you've ever burned your hand as a child when touching the stove, you learned that you should be careful around fire. If you ever studied harder for a test after scoring poorly on a test before, then you learned that studying can produce better results. Operant conditioning is all around us. It's the foundation of humanity's ability to learn and improve as we experience things in this world. But again, the conditions need to be met for it to work well. Many people give the advice that you should reward yourself with things like a vacation or a sweet treat for doing something good. But the truth is this might help, but it's not really operant conditioning because it doesn't meet the conditions. A vacation or a sweet treat in response to doing something can't be tied as a natural association. The relationship between the action and the reward is too spread apart and the reward itself is something you could choose to do without taking the action. You could just take a vacation instead of tying the vacation as a reward. You have that choice. And as a result, it doesn't really do that much to reinforce the actual behavior that we're trying to build. In this way, operant conditioning can be difficult to consciously use in your behavior change process, but it's certainly possible. The way this can be done is to spend time acknowledging the natural positive rewards or the natural punishments that accompany any action. For example, if you wanted to build a new flossing habit, rather than inventing a reward to give yourself, you can try to notice the feeling of clean teeth that would naturally be associated with the habit. This reward would be more connected to the behavior and is only achievable by doing the behavior. From there, as long as the behavior is easy to engage in, say if you left the floss out by your toothbrush and you legitimately want to experience that clean feeling, you should be able to teach yourself to do the behavior regularly. Similarly, if you wanted to break a bad habit, like say eating dessert after dinner, you'll first need to make the habit harder to engage in by no longer buying them. Then you'll need to acknowledge the natural punishment of a stomachache or bloat. And finally, you'll need to care about avoiding that feeling. 
And this is where something like the tether habit that I just introduced back in episode 715 comes in handy. For example, just to give you my own personal experience here, I wake up every morning and I weigh myself. And the goal is to keep myself connected to the reality of my situation as it relates to my weight and my nutrition. And this has done wonders for changing my behavior, for making me choose better options throughout the day. However, I do still have those days where I want Chinese food or I want pizza or whatever it might be. And I typically give myself that leeway because at the end of the day, I'm looking to build a lifestyle that makes me happy more than I'm looking to hit some specific arbitrary number. However, having that tether habit, waking up the next morning or even immediately after eating it and weighing myself and seeing what it does to the number is a great way to acknowledge the quote unquote punishment that comes with that behavior. And so if I'm looking to stop that, if I wanted to negatively reinforce that behavior, I would track it immediately afterwards so that I can clearly see the effects of that behavior. And that would make it easier for me to acknowledge that when I do this, this happens. And if I don't want this to happen, then I can't do this. So let's talk about classical conditioning versus operant conditioning. Each of these methods of changing behavior are powerful if used correctly, and they can certainly be used together, but there are some important similarities and differences between the two. Both operant and classical conditioning can use rewards as reinforcement or punishment, and both focus on creating associations between behavior and outcomes. One major difference is that operant conditioning can require more time than classical conditioning because there has to be an additional step involved, that acknowledgement of the natural consequences. Since this association can take time, it makes change more difficult. Another major difference between the two is that classical conditioning is largely used to change behaviors that have some kind of internal response like hunger. Whereas operant conditioning requires a person to engage in a certain behavior and as long as they receive reinforcement or punishment from the environment for doing so, their behavior will continue or cease. Both methods are powerful, but these similarities and differences should be considered before choosing one over the other. And at the end of the day, changing your behavior or changing your life, it may feel like an impossible task. But it's perfectly within your control if you have the right tools. Classical conditioning and operant conditioning are two powerful methods that can be used to change your behavior as long as you have a good understanding of how they work and how to set them up to your benefit. Classical conditioning is largely used to change behaviors that have some kind of natural internal response. By associating certain neutral behaviors with positive or negative responses, you can create a natural urge to do certain things in certain contexts. More importantly, you can use your existing associations to make decisions that put you in good positions for achieving the goals you've set. Operant conditioning requires a person to engage in a certain behavior, and as long as they receive reinforcement or punishment from the environment, that behavior will continue or cease. This is a powerful tool for getting yourself to do certain things or stop doing other things so long as you pay attention to and acknowledge the benefits or drawbacks of these actions. By learning about these two tools and better understanding how to use them, you can start to create the environment required to create or change any behavior you'd like in your life. So that's the end of my two-part series on classical conditioning versus 
operant conditioning. If you want to read the full article, it's up right now. Just click the link in the description of this episode or head to tlbc.co slash conditioning. Thank you so much for hanging with me. I know the last two episodes were super long, but I really wanted to be able to dive into these topics because they are complex and honestly, they're a bit hard to follow. It took me a while to really wrap my head around them. So don't feel bad if after listening to these episodes, you still don't feel like you fully get it. Go read the full article. Uh, Changing the way that you're consuming the information might actually help it stick. And before I go, I want to remind you to check out today's sponsor, Blinkist. I'm a huge, huge fan of their platform. I've introduced it to a number of my friends and family members. They also love it. Uh, It's a great way to continue learning and to get new information that can drastically help you change your life without having to spend all of the time required to read a full book. So head over to Blinkist.com slash Tiny Leaps to get 25% off or just click the link in the description of this episode. Thank you so much. I've been Greg Clunas. And remember that all big changes come from the tiny leaps you take every day. Every day.